All right, it's time for another Strong Calm podcast. Strong Calm, C-O-M, that root word, calm, that means together or in common. And I use that word as a springboard to speak about communication online and off or to ourselves and to others. Community building, how we serve others and how we do that, what we do to do that. Uh, in our in our local context or through the people that we meet we bring into our community from abroad we can have communities you know we can have a community of people even though we're not you know physically there uh and how those two things communication and community building build stronger company whether that's the company that you're building like a business or the company that you keep. And today I'm super excited to have Travis White uh, on this episode. I want to introduce you to him. I've been following Travis. We've been connected for a long time, a a fellow East Texan. And uh, I don't know exactly how we first met Travis, but uh, you know, just, just like you do through networking events and things like that, you get connected. And then uh, it's been, you've been someone that I've, paid attention to in social media through the things that you share that you've been developing and over the last year or so we'll get into the specifics you've been writing this book uh, called we are all fireflies that is now available so definitely check that out just type in we are all fireflies book and it'll pop up on amazon or barnes and noble wherever you want to grab it uh travis is a life coach an author an integrator a simplifier helping people turn your turn limiting beliefs into limitless potential and so i'm going to talk to him about how he communicates how he builds community and uh, helps people through those breakthroughs so travis thank you and welcome to the show thanks much i'm glad i appreciate you having me Absolutely. So Travis, uh, I gave a little intro of, you know, some of the things we can find just from uh, uh, public bios and of course what you've been up to, but uh, I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to. Yeah, well, I've been doing some form of coaching counseling for 16, 18 years. Um, I've I've had my own ups and downs in life. Um, I've had uh, some trauma in my past in my childhood that I hid for a long, long time. And it kind of came to a head and it really began to develop me as I sought my own freedom in that. And uh, my wife and I both on the journey we went on and it really developed the language I use now as far as talking about limiting beliefs and limitless potential. And and really, if if someone talks to me very long, the word they're going to hear a hundred times and maybe get tired of is story or narrative, Um, because we're all living this story 24 seven, you know. And what I discovered in my own path is I was helping a lot of other people do what I call embracing their story, um, learning the superpower of vulnerability, while I wasn't allowing myself to do that as well. And this book really came out of that reality check that I wasn't being completely vulnerable with self and with my own story because of the pain in the past. And that's kind of what's always fueled me to help people. Um, and now this kind of self-discovery journey that I've gone on, um, learning what it means to embrace your story, learning the power of story, the power of words. You know, I use this phrase all the time, words create worlds. And um, I, I reckon the rest of my days on earth here will be spent helping people learn the power of their words, both in a destructive way and in a constructive way. And so that's kind of how the book came about because uh, the good Lord just wouldn't let it come out of my head that I was supposed to write a book for about, about the past decade. And so I finally got around to it. Excellent. Love it. And uh, I'm as a poet, a writer myself, um, I'm very interested in the world of language. Um, yeah. I think it, it, it just, like you said, words create worlds. I love that. I believe it for sure. And, uh, you know, part of the reason I, I love doing these podcasts is because, you know, everything can be uh, figured out. We're just like a one conversation away from that breakthrough. Uh, if that's a conversation that we have with a, somebody else, or it's a conversation that we have with ourselves, because we're always with ourselves and we're always talking to ourselves. So um, 
uh, Travis, before we jump into this, uh, the first C of communication, I yeah. want to, I want to, uh, because I'm, I'm excited to do so. I, I know we're going to have some great conversation about it, but to give a little bit of background, um, for our listener and for myself, just some extra levels of context there. You said from 16 to 18 years, you've been counseling and, and helping folks, uh, in different ways. In, in what arena was that? Was that ministry? Was that uh, yeah, I, went, uh, I went to grad school in 2004. Um, so I went back, became a college student again at 41. And um, it was just something that I'd been feeling the urge for about 10 years. <clears throat> but some of the narrative that I struggled with in my own psyche, based in fear and shame, I put it off for a whole decade, just like I almost did the book. And so I finally went to grad school. And I've worked in therapeutic environments, uh, in kind of a clinical hospital settings, uh, mostly in ministry and community service, um, and then kind of started working into one-on-one counseling. And my own journey of healing is what birthed me into the place I am now, where my wife and I have a private practice where we embrace the term that's really becoming popular out there, life coaching. You know, I've got the graduate degree in psychology. I've got the training. I've got more hours of post-grad training in trauma work and anxiety and relationships than I do college. But really what we embrace with people is you're going to get as much of our own story as you are the training and education. It's going to be merged together and melded together because we've learned the, the power of a story embraced. What we've gone through shines a unique light that no other human can shine. And a lot of times we'll notice with clients, especially with my wife, she's certified and trained as a life coach, but she doesn't have a graduate degree. So she doesn't have the deep psychology experience. But what I see time and again, and I just sit there and smile, is the connection she makes with another human, especially a female, in the context of her story and how it awakens needs of areas for them to deal with in their story. And it's just a beautiful process. It, it kind of shows that power of how words create worlds. And so, yeah, I've, I've worked in different hats. I guess for the longest, it was ministry and community service. And now for about the last seven to nine years, um, it's been in this coaching arena. Mm. Yeah. One thing you said about that, that sticks out to me is the, is, is, you know, what one thing because I I grew up in a church background, uh, you know, and uh, grew up in the in the church, and so a few you know scriptures come to mind, as, uh, or at least uh, adages that you might hear from the pulpit. Being uh, uh, he doesn't uh, call the qualified; he qualifies the called. Mm-hmm. And regardless of someone's personal you know relationship with. Uh, God or spirituality in general, I think that there's still some truth to that statement in that, like, you know, just because you have a degree does, regardless of whatever the degree is, it could be a degree in marketing or business doesn't mean you're a great marketer or business person. Um, But you can be a qualified person to help someone else with a solution provided that you know you step into that arena with that full faith and 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 service mindset would you agree with that wholeheartedly and and i never would put down education i mean i spent the 30 grand on the grad degree and i value what it taught me um but i will say the most powerful thing in the universe is a person awakened to and owning their own individual story Mm. um and and when it comes to that it, it doesn't matter their education or what training they've gotten. Now that adds value. Um, it gives credibility and sometimes it helps them hone their message. But in the writing world that I'm in right now, this tribe of authors, coaches, and speakers, um, some of the greatest coaches I have to admit don't have a lot of education. They just had a passion that wouldn't let go of them and that they couldn't let go of. And they just pursued it and pursued it and just kept their heart open and They worked different, what you would call day jobs, but they kept getting pulled back into this passion to help others, this passion to to share their story with the world. And almost every one of them at first struggled with the value of that in light of the way the world views people. You know, you you need the, the education, you need these letters behind your name, you need to have white hair like I have, you know, you know, but that is just not true. Um, and, and I've got, you know, a, a great coach is going to have 
a coach as well. So I've got a business coach and she pours into me in ways that I never could imagine because she's sharing her awakened story with me. And even though we're different ages, male, female, she lives up in the North. I live down here in Texas. Um, it's just amazing the fire she ignites in me that I probably wouldn't have found anywhere else in a textbook or just a regular book or anything. It's just the uniting and the merging of those stories, um, which your passion for community. I think that's one of the reasons we followed each other on social media is that is the core of community is stories vulnerable and authentically um, embraced with one another. Mm. Because then the sky's the limit. I mean, it's like snowflakes, snowflakes and fingerprints. We're all unique and diverse. We can have similar stories because since I've gotten more public with sharing my past that I had too much shame to cover as far as being sexually abused as a child and, and all the struggles and poor choices I had through life, um, since I've awakened to that, it's birthed this whole community that's it's nothing about me. It's nothing about the training I received. It's just that my story has awakened these other people that feel drawn to that light, um, which is one of the two reasons the book is called We Are All Fireflies. Um, the, I have a core mantra for that book that is very community-centric at the individual level. It says we carry all the light we will ever need to illuminate all the darkness we will ever face. And, and mm. if that doesn't ignite power in one individual, imagine a community of individuals all awakening to the light, the true core of who they are and the value of themselves as a human and the story they carry, both good and bad, because nothing goes unused in an embraced story and embraced vulnerably. It, it all turns out for good, which you were talking about us both being raised in church. It kind of goes back to that verse that all things work together for good. If we let them, if we pursue that, and, and for those of us that believe in God, if we allow God to work through us in that, you know, I tell clients all the time, every cow patty can become fertilizer to grow a garden. <laughs> <laughs> cleaned up way, I usually say it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I love it. Travis, you've got a, you've got a penchant for uh, wonderful metaphors. Uh, I, I think those are fantastic ways for uh, to illustrate the points that you're communicating. Uh, really, really great. Um, one thing that you said was, you know, the awareness of and the full ownership of a story and yeah. in the coaching that I've received and the coaching that I, I work to impart into others is that, you know, the aware, what I'm, what I'm learning about, um, coaching as a practice, but also, uh, just life in general. And in, in like, because as I grow as a coach, I have to, I have to, go through those breakthroughs, you know, mm -hmm. just like you said, you've got to go through those breakthroughs so you can help facilitate those breakthroughs in someone else. Right. And so awareness and acceptance and the full ownership of that story is so critically important from, from you and other coaches that I've heard from, uh, that is the, that is the truth, kind of some of the bedrock of it. So, right. um, right. I'll ask you, I'll, I'll ask you just so how how does one start if 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 somebody was going to start this process of accepting and owning their own story? How would they kind of begin that journey? Well, it's <clears throat> I won't say that it's not something they can't do on their own, but I've just found it to be very hard. Um, it, it ties into one of the beautiful, I guess, behind the scenes magic things about coaching is it's like in, in every sports arena now, especially football from high school on up to pros, every coaching staff has at least one coach in the press box. Why? Because on the field, the head coach is wondering, why do we keep getting to fourth down in 20? So it's the same for us in life. Why do we keep struggling? Why do I keep having this same issue? Why cannot defeat my anxiety? Why is our relationship struggling and inviting a coach into your story there's someone that sits in the press box and just maybe ask better questions that you don't recognize because they see the field, i.e. your life from a different perspective. And so that's the first step for us is, uh, and the first step in my process, I help clients through, which mirrors chapter one in the book is about awakening. We all carry around a story and only about 5% of our story is kept in consciousness. That's in the moment, right? About 95% of our brain functions at subconscious level. 
And right below the surface is all the automatic things our brain does and all the good things. Like, for instance, I do this with clients all the time. I said, it's easy to awaken to your story or your narrative when it's good stuff. So if I ask anybody, no matter what background they've had, tell me about a favorite childhood Christmas moment. Everybody can dip into the subconscious, pull up that story and share it instantly. Or we smell something like a certain food cooking and we instantly dip down and pull up that part of the story where our grandmother always used to cook in the kitchen and everything, you know? But the experiences that are painful, the experiences that elicit fear, that um, that are purely just trauma-based. And I'll say this, I say this to everybody, more of us have experienced trauma than we can possibly imagine because most of the time we hold trauma as, oh, he or she was sexually abused, that person barely escaped the Twin Towers falling. But trauma is less about the experience and more about the story we write. Mm. Because those words are what go with us. So awakening is about realizing those, those painful, fear-based, trauma-based narratives. If you can picture the consciousness and the unconsciousness as a lake, and the consciousness is the, above the water, the sky, it's easy to see all that. The stuff right below the water, it's easy to fish for that. You know, we don't even need any real good bait. We can just hook those memories easy. But those painful, fear-based, trauma-based parts of the story, they're heavy, so they sink. So they go to the bottom of the subconscious. Nobody likes to think of pain. Nobody likes to think of fear, uh, especially us Westerners. We're, we're fear-averse, pain-averse. We don't want to deal with that stuff. But for a human being, and this is what I've learned through experience, to be truly awakened, you know, whether you want to take the Zen approach or whatever, but to be a truly awakened human, which means to live in your fullest potential, career-wise, job, passion, relationship, marriage, means you have to awaken to the whole of your narrative. It means those cow patties sitting down there at the bottom have some value because they're affecting you whether you know it or not. Like, like a virus in a computer. You just want to keep working the computer. I don't want to deal with that virus. I want to pretend it's not bothering me. But those stories that we wrote through experiences that were painful or unprocessed or traumatic, we must awaken to those. We must, um, we must become aware that the power we think they hold to keep us in fear, to keep us in shame, like I was for 30 plus years, is the power that we gave them not someone else, not the person that caused us pain or said the bad things or committed the trauma against us. It's our story. And that's really good news because once we realize that everything that I fear bringing up or fear dealing with in my story is operating in a power that I gave it, then I can discover how to take that power back. But the first step is awakening. So usually we need bait to fish deep. And what I've learned, the best bait to use is our core fear which many of us operate out of. So the first thing I do with clients, the first thing I did in my own journey of healing <clears throat> when I was at the lowest point in my life, and I'll, I'll say I'll say the PG version, but I'm sitting on a rock on the side of a mountain in Tennessee and I'm, I'm screaming at God, cursing God, to be honest. And then I just yell out through the trees, Travis, what are you so effing afraid of? And I must have been prime and right because I answered the question immediately. I'm afraid the world sees me as worthless and unlovable. So see, no matter what, how good things are on the external, I was constantly operating out of that narrative that was way down in my subconscious. And most of us, we don't even recognize that. And most of us, again, especially us Americans, Western culture views, because we move so fast and so surface, we'll see the symptoms of that. Anxiety, anger, sadness, relationships that we can't keep maintained healthily. And then we'll deal with those things or avoid those things. But we never peel back the layers. And, and here's what I tell people kind of boldly. Almost everything you deal with in life that you would rather go a different way. So almost everything bondage wise, stuck in life, can't reach my dreams. It's either created or exacerbated by a hacked internal narrative or what I call limiting beliefs. And until we unearth those and face them and turn them around for our good, we're never going to reach our fullest potential in life. Mm. 
Dang, Travis, I think I'm just going to let you talk for the rest of it. And, uh, <laughs> well, you, you hit me in a pa- area of passion. I'm just, I just can't stop. Uh, no, well, and, and I, I think you're just, you, I mean, it's, it's so true. It's so true. Uh, one question that I have though, is I, I think, I think, um, for, for some folks, uh, listening, I, I, I should just speak for myself, but one, one, one point that I kind of want to, um, highlight is that, like you said, you know, a lot of times when we discuss the word trauma, I think that, you know, we're in a, um, time in the world where being vulnerable about our traumas or our pains that we experience has, there's never been a better moment, um, for us to actually have those conversations and communicate them. Mm-hmm. However, however, uh, it's really easy to kind of continually sweep those things under the rug, not because, uh, we deny that they're there, but maybe because we deny how, impactful they actually are so like for example when you say you know consciously i I think that sometimes uh we can say well i wasn't sexually abused i I didn't have like a huge traumatic event that happened to me i don't have a lot of trauma so to say i would you know if if you know if, if it's a if it's communicated to us that hey you need we need to confront become aware and own and and move past these type of traumatic events there might be folks that say well i haven't had too much traumatic events or these these uh internal narratives that to me are very very damaging but i would say also that in in my experience in working through some of these things personally is that it's often not those big things um there's you know a lot of times I think trauma can be an overloaded term and people can kind of say, well, that doesn't necessarily apply to me because I haven't had a, a giant traumatic event that I need to process. But in my experience and what I've found is that, uh, because I've, I've, I believe I'm, I'm so grateful for my life. I haven't had a lot of that kind of stuff. However, I still experience the same stuckness, the same stalledness that anyone else would, uh, out of life. And, from what I've learned and experienced is that so many times it's not about the big thing and always wrestling with the big grizzly bear. It's, it's about dealing with the ant that kind of continues to clip at your toes that, you know, you, you're, you're like, well, I could go down and itch it and crush that ant, but it's really not that big of a deal. I've learned how to live with it. I can survive it. It's not a big deal. Like it's more discomforting to deal with and brush the ants off than it is to just deal with the bite that's happening because it's just a little small thing. So I'm not going to worry about it. Would you agree with that? Is that kind of how, like, I think a lot of times we're, 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 um, killed by a death of a thousand cuts rather than the big machete, just chopping our whole purpose down. And and it ties in with the power of words and and not to downplay the experience of trauma. I never would do that whether I had experienced it or not, but I I was sexually abused by my biological father. And then when my dad came in my life, the man I called dad for 41 years and and I say rescued us, then as luck would have it, we lived in a poor neighborhood in our hometown and I was sexually abused again on and off for three years. And that was deeply traumatic. But I tell people, and I say this in the book, there was a time where I wasn't sexually abused anymore. Um, That person disappeared. We moved across town. Um, And even as a young adult and an adult, I'm not still being abused. So the power is not in the experience. And this is why a lot of people want to push away the idea that they had any trauma in their life. And it really keeps them from discovering what you call the ant on the ankle which is those heavy words buried in our subconscious. And we want to pretend that they don't bother us anymore. And especially us men, we, we have to wrestle with this because we know what culture and the movies tell us, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, put some Windex on it. It was in the past, get over it. And those things are so destructive and, and just case in point, and I'll, I'll give the micro version of the story, but I had a 38 year old lady in Los Angeles, Zoom client, She was on her fourth relationship. She really wanted to marry this guy. They had a baby together. She couldn't get over 
She couldn't understand and, and, and discover why she hated herself so bad. She blamed it on her size. She had dealt with weight all of her life. She had had that, that weight loss surgery. She's a beautiful lady. And, but she said, I still, when certain things are said to me, I get angry, I explode, I drive people away. And, and we do what I do on awakening the story and then acknowledging the damage in our life currently, be it anxiety, stress, depression, whatever. And we begin to tie them together. And she's sitting there talking and she goes, you know, I just had a memory from 25 years ago I haven't thought about since then. Dad walked in the kitchen one night from work like he always did and said hi to me when he walked by. I was leaning against the wall watching mom and my aunt cook dinner. And he, he called her Jojo, I think. And he walked by and he says, hey, Jojo. And as he turned the corner to leave the room, he said, you're getting fat. And she looked at me. And she goes, are you telling me I'm in bonds? This is to one statement from 25 years ago. And I said, well, yes and no. I said, what did you say to yourself in that moment? Because that's the power. That's the ants on the ankle is that story you wrote in that moment. And I tell people all the time, there's two times in our lives we write the worst stories when we're in the midst of a trauma moment and when we're kids and not to be unfair to ourselves as kids, but we don't understand how to write a good story about a painful experience that we can't understand but we're God-wired to bring balance out of chaos. So the chaos she felt in being called fat, you know, and it took a little work, but she finally got to the place where she remembered because she started crying. I said, what did you say? She goes, you're right, Poppy. I'm fat and worthless. And she goes, so one word has had me in bondage 25 years. And I said, and we had been working together for about eight weeks. I said, what about middle school where you were bullied she goes, yeah, I felt worthless. I said, what about when your high school sweetheart broke up with you a month before prom and he said he couldn't marry a fat person? Yeah, I felt very worthless. I said, what about last week when you called me because you and your fiance had had a knockdown drag out and he said those mean, painful things to you? She said, I felt worthless. I said, so see, there's where you birthed the story, but you've been writing that story for 25 years but you buried it in the subconscious because who wants to walk around feeling worthless, but we bury it. And then it's out of sight, out of mind. And we go through life and have a lot of great experience, just like in my story, great family, great experiences, great career paths that I've been on a million friends, very blessed. And so a long time, Shane kept that. I call it my monster at bay, <clears throat> the ants on the ankle. And I'm like you, I said, yeah, I could get down there and get them, but they're not that big of a deal. I've got to help everybody else. And, and the ants finally bit me enough that it almost destroyed me. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, if, if we want to really discover who we're meant to be, we have to awaken to that story, that narrative, those ants on the ankle. I like that. <laughs> um, so, so what, so what is that next step then? So when you, when you, when you awaken to the fact that I have this internal story and we'll kind of continue with this example, maybe of I'm worthless, maybe I'm, you know, it's like, okay, uh, that is a, that is something that I tell myself because we all have these different voices that if it's from ourselves, uh, the voices that we hear from others, the voices yeah. that we hear from life itself, uh, when we, when we say, okay, the, the belief the story, the narrative that I'm telling myself is that I'm worthless. Yeah. Um, and I start to believe it. How do I start to unwind that? How do I yeah. start unwinding what I become awakened to? That's a good question. Um, there's a phrase in um, a, a lady that created one of the uh, therapeutic approaches to trauma that's, that says, bring the past into the present. So awakening to our narrative is not about laying on the proverbial Freudian couch and blaming your mother for your life. You know, it's about bringing the past into the present. And the only thing that we can bring into the present from the past is what? That story or that narrative, right? We, we can't bring the experiences. We can't go back and change them. We're not God or Captain Kirk, you know? So all we have is the story from the past. So we bring it into the present where we have the mindset, the maturity, and the experience and the hindsight to look at it in the present. So the second thing we do once we awaken to the narrative is say, okay, let's look at the right now issues we've been struggling with. And, and we'll do what I call a survey of the moment or, or a drone flyover. 
Well, and you might have a person that says, well, I struggle with anxiety all the time, but I figure that's just who I am because my aunt was anxious. My grandmother was anxious. As good as it gets, as Jack Nicholson said in the movie. And, and or we may say, well, I struggle with relationships. I'm kind of hot headed, you know, and I know I say things and should have thought first and I'm just angry, you know. <clears throat> so we begin to say, OK, well, let's look at this this narrative we've awakened and these limiting beliefs that you're worthless and unlovable. Like, like the dad that berates his kids and yells at them when he walked in from work and stepped on a Lego. And this is a real client from about nine years ago. And just yelling in their face, cussing, screaming, spitting on them. And the wife comes in crying and it's, a, it's an explosion. And then they end up in my office. And he's telling the story and he goes, I know I got too angry. I know I got too mad, but they know they're supposed to have the room cleaned up when I get home from work. They just don't respect me. And so I just kind of held on to that word. I said, okay, let's look at life right now. Tell me about work. So we start talking about work. And then all of a sudden we get on the subject. Well, I've, I've been mad at work. I'm mad at my boss right now. I've been there for 12 years. I got overlooked for a, a raise and a promotion. And someone got it that's only been there half the time. And there it came again. He goes, I just feel so disrespected. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, let's do a flyover of your personal life. So we talk about personal life. His parents both are still alive. So he's talking about them. We've got an okay relationship, but it's not great. Well, tell me why it's okay, why it's not great. And then without even guiding him there, he goes, well, growing up, you know, my dad provided for us. I wasn't abused. I didn't live in a bad home. But dad worked 60 hours a week. He never was the dad that pitched the ball with me out in the yard. He never came to me in any of my sporting events. And anytime I accomplished something, he, he never gave me encouragement. I felt like I never could earn my dad's respect. Hmm. And so he's sitting there and the wife's already had the light bulb go off. And I said, so when you exploded on your kids, this is the way the brain works. When we have experiences in life that we don't find closure or, or we don't deal with them, they're like open tabs on a computer. And so many people are walking through life with 30 open tabs on the desktop of their mind. And the brain works very economically. So when we have a similar emotional experience, anger at my kids, they disrespect me, they won't clean their room. Well, the brain goes, hey, we got these other things where you felt disrespected. Maybe we're fixing to get closure from all. So the anger you pour out, the wrath you pour out on the kids is the wrath you want to pour out on your boss. And it's the wrath you want to pour out on your dad and say, why did I never earn your respect? And, and it's not always that easy, but that's the path for most of us because we're human. So there are some similarities we have. We all have behaviors, desired behaviors and those we wish we could overcome and quit. Those behaviors are all rooted in thoughts. And those thoughts are wrapped in feelings and emotions. And those thoughts all come from the subconscious in two things, experience and memory. And there's where the narrative is. That's, that's every human. I don't care where you're on the planet. Behaviors are driven by thoughts. Thoughts are driven by experiences and memory. It's, it's our, our code. And most of our subconscious, thankfully, has good code, like the code written for the laptop that's supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. Some of these experiences may be big, like my sexual abuse, may be little, like JoJo being called fat by our dad. They start a narrative and they start a story and they just proliferate through our life. And we just, most of us live just as good as it gets and we'll medicate and deal with the surface issues. You know, we'll go get help for anxiety or we'll take these meds or we'll work out furiously when we're angry. And that's okay. Those are good. Some of those are good, healthy habits, but they never get to the root, you know? Mm -hmm. So when, when we're wanting to reconcile with the, with the root uh, and maybe is this where words create worlds? I mean, is this something where uh, is this just a, a matter of, of, of confronting the, 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 the thought as it, as it comes up when, when you start to experience that uh, negative thought, that, that, uh, that belief pattern that I am worthless or not good enough or, what whatever it might be whatever that traumatic event is is it about remixing that and saying no i am i am worth it i am you know yeah, it, it, is that an element 
that is an element, and it's the first step. It's the first line of offense, not defense. We're on the offense here. It's the first line of offense. You know, darkness is repelled by light. You turn the light switch on the room, darkness can't stick its tongue out and go, I'm not going anywhere, right? Truth in the face of lies. Truth wins every time. So it's, it's, it's speaking your truth. Um, matter of fact, when people corner me and say, tell me in a nutshell what you do with people. And I've got this long story because you hear me, I'm passionate about all this stuff. I say, but here it is. Um, and again, I want to make it PG for your listeners. But oh, I say, you can make it, you can make it fly. Everything we're going to do is two things. We're going to learn how to own our shit and speak our truth. And all the work that comes after that will be the icing and the cherry on the cake. But the first thing we have to do is own our shit and speak our truth. And so when we awaken to this narrative, we see the trauma-based narrative, the fear-based narrative, or shame-based. It's almost always one of those three, or all three in my case. And we acknowledge how it's tied into my present. Oh, I see now why I'm so angry. Or I see why I have anxiety all the time, because that hamster won't get off the wheel. And it's all these woulda, coulda, shoulda, what ifs in the midst of I'm worthless and unlovable. And we're trying to live life out of that. Well, we're sucking our energy away. And so the first step, and I tell people, you can't skip this. It's not comfortable. It's not comfortable talking about the negative stuff, but it's empowering because I've noticed with clients time and time again, sometimes the ones we just speak out loud to another person, it all of a sudden flips. You know, I've got a client right now that he constantly says, I believe in myself in front of me. And he's not just blowing smoke in himself. But it was a thing he learned to combat the feeling of not enough. I'm never going to be enough for anybody. And when he heard that out loud, speaking it to me, and I just sat there, he goes, that's just not true, is it? And I said, no, it's not true. He goes, I do believe in myself. I struggle with it. I said, that's vulnerability. That's honesty. So the first step we have to do is we have to embrace the hell out of vulnerability. It's a superpower. Culture teaches us it's a weakness, but vulnerability is only a weakness in the sporting arena and on the battlefield. Any other time, vulnerability means connecting to my true self and then out of that connection, connecting to the world around me. And so that, that step after we awaken and acknowledge and we see the big picture, I said, okay, we got to sit at the foot of our toolbox. I call it life's toolbox. The good Lord gives us all one. And it's full of really cool tools. It's the things that gives us those intrinsic values of love, joy, peace, all those things we're all wired for. See, whether you believe in the Bible or not, we're not wired for fear. So it comes about in our life experience, you know, and there's that verse in the Bible says, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. We're not wired for fear. So fear is a construct is what I call it. We created it, but we have to have this reckoning moment because there's power in brokenness and it's what allows us to embrace vulnerability. So we have to have that moment. And I do this with clients all the time. I did it with myself with the help of some other professionals where you sit there and you get brave enough to kick open life's toolbox. And you know, it's not going to be good because on the outside, it's rusty and dented and mistreated. And you open it up and you go, shit, all I've got is a broke hammer and a used roll of duct tape. I don't want to be here. And I tell people, um, they'll ask me, why do I have to go through that moment? Why do I want to sit there in that sorrow and pain? I said, you don't. But every successful journey has a healthy beginning. You know, the guy that wins the race on the track field is the one that got out of those blocks the best, right? It's not always the fastest. Sometimes it's the one that got out of the blocks the best. So every journey needs a healthy start. So we say, well, here I am in life and my choices are the choices others made towards me, the trauma, the fear, the shame, the story I've written. Man, I've, I've used up all my tools and I got a broke hammer or used roll of duct tape. And, and when it's a client, we look at each other and say, okay, how do you feel about being here? I usually get a variety of colorful language, but bo basically it boils down to, well, it sucks. I say, well, you know what? It does suck because I remember sitting in front of my toolbox you got more duct tape on yours than I did, you know? Mm -hmm. So now let's find a way to turn limiting beliefs into beliefs. Let's begin to flip the switch. And, and this is where owning our shit and speaking our truth really comes in. 
Excellent. Travis, this, it's fantastic. Uh, I'm excited to get this book. I'm, I'm going to be ordering it. Um, what we're talking about yeah. is all the first section of the book, the first four chapters. Yeah. Matter of fact, we just came out of chapter three. We would be going into chapter four now. <laughs> great, great. Well, um, yeah, I, I think we could speak for another hour and a half, but just in the interest of time, I do want to go into some of the community uh, aspects yeah. of, of kind of where, uh, where you are in your wheelhouse, because I think the communication part uh, uh, we've definitely uh, been able to, to get some, get some light out of. So uh, when it comes to community, um, just tell me what, kind of tell me your perspective. I have one core question on, on, yeah. on the subject of community, but I kind of want to get your insight because you, you mentioned something earlier of just how, uh, intentional you are about incorporating what community means in the context of, of coaching and what you do. So what would you, what, what is kind of your perspective on community in general? Well, um, I guess I could come from a, diff, a dozen different ways, but uh, we're a part of a little community right now, not only where we live out here, kind of in the country in Flint, Texas, and, uh, and then through a little small church group we're a part of, we're a part of uh, a little community. And then we have just an organic community we're a part of, of diverse backgrounds, beliefs, colors, creeds, and this, this, um, I, I guess the main thing is I, I try to challenge people all the time, especially when I work with couples or families and they don't have a strong community and they feel alienated in their pain and struggle. And I say, look, you need community where God wired for that. But here's the deal. First, that community has to be organic. Find a group of people that are real and authentic, that you can flip open that toolbox and nobody in the in the circle is going to say, man, you suck. I'm scared of you. Look at what you've been through. But that embrace you for who you are. And then become a part of community where you feel like you can be real and vulnerable. And that's hard. I've been a part of community almost all my life. I'm, I'm very outgoing. My wife says that I'm a butterfly in the world as a field of flowers. You know, you give me 30 minutes in a room and I'm going to know all the people and I may be invited to be in one person's wedding. You know, it's just the way I am. But I learned, and this was extremely humbling. I mean, effing humbling <laughs> in my own journey to healing is for a lot of years, I've been living in community, giving everyone around me a half a glass because I didn't know myself. So we've got a lot of great community out there. And like you said earlier, times are changing. And, and in the craziness of the world, a lot of the good that's coming out of it is people are becoming more real with one another. Now, there's there's plenty of still fake, and you know, but but it's it's I think we're birthing a movement here is what we're seeing. And I hope and pray generations like 50s and 40s and 20s that, that we all come together and say, look, community is all of us. It's not just all the young people, all the middle-aged people, all the old people, but community is all of us because the most powerful community is not about numbers and it's not about how much money they have. It's about being a group of igniting souls that can be vulnerable with their own story and embrace that story with the people around them. And I guess I said all that in that one last statement is my theory of effective, solid community. Love it. Uh, one, one thing before I get to the, to, to, to the village question is what I call it. Um, one thing you said is you realize that you're giving your community a half full glass. Yeah. So one question that I have on that is when I, I think, you know, when, when, you're looking at a localized community, like, you know, uh, maybe you're moving to a new town or you just reside in the city that you're in. You're looking to be a part of that community. Um, and for, for some reason, uh, for some, the reason would be to be filled up a little bit. So I, you know, I, I, I get a source of energy out of that connection with that community. Right. But also, the, the reverse is true is that I want to be a part of my community because I do believe that I've got a cup that I can pour into someone else. Right. So right. to you, what is that relationship? Because like you said, you said that you, you were coming with a half cup. Were you aware that you had a half cup and, and, and you, you were looking to be filled up or like, what is that good? I, I it, it's hard to get to the question that right. where I'm trying to get to, but what is that relationship between, 
an individual with a half cup coming to a community and yeah. and what is the difference when you can have a full cup and then go to your community what take me into that a bit yeah and i think it personally a lot of my life the community service ministry stuff and everything else i genuinely felt like for a long time that i was coming completely full but when i finally embraced my story when i finally owned my shit began to speak my truth. I realized I was giving myself to the world around me from what I call the smile forward. Um, I, I call it the Robin Williams syndrome because uh, I mm. love Robin Williams. A lot of his quotes and beliefs I follow. You know, he's got one quote where he talks about a lot of the people that have the most pain inside are the happiest and the most joyful around others because they don't want anyone to feel the pain they feel. But I'd remove myself from the pain for so long because as a child I saw my dad on the first date with my mom for some reason I was on the first date and I saw him make her smile and that's where I decided both in a good way and this was a destructive way as a six-year-old to decide something like this that that's what I want to do the rest of my life make the world smile but the the, the part of the narrative that I owned in that moment too was he made mom smile this guy could be a good guy I can't tell him my darkness because he'll leave us, mm. you know? So, um, and I lost my train of thought because that's such a personal moment, but, but, but there was good and bad that came out of that, but I was operating from a smile forward. And for a long time, I didn't even know that. But when I began to awaken to not the memory of my past, I always held that it wasn't dark. I knew where I came from. I knew the struggles of drugs and alcohol. I knew the struggles on and off with, with the porn that I'd been forced to reenact as a child. And, and, and I knew all that, but shame just made me hide it so deep that I just detached from it and just went about making the world a, a better place. And that glass half full is because once I owned my stuff, the good and the bad, but then used my power and the power God gave me and the network of other people that helped me is I was able to turn all those cow patties into fertilizer. I was able to mm. turn all the bad into good. And now when I deal with people, I give my full self. It's a full glass. And it, and it follows uh, a phrase my publisher uses all the time, show up, filled up. And I think that's the power of good community. Don't always show up for what that community can give you, but go into it with the attitude. I have value and good to give to this community and what happens is, like moths to a light, we're going to draw like-minded people. And the community I'm a part of after writing this book and this coaching network, um, these people show up filled up. You know, the first 15 minutes of any conversation, whether digital or face-to-face, -face, is how can I encourage you? What do you got going? What, what can I do to help you? Then they'll talk about themselves. That's powerful community. Wow. I, I love that. I love that because, you know, so often we hear, I mean, everybody's heard that glass half full type of thinking. And a lot of times it has to do with uh, positivity and optimism. But what you're reframing for me in that, uh, that visualization, that, 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 uh, that metaphor is, is being filled up isn't necessarily just having that surface level of optimism and, and positivity. It's, look, I'm whole and complete in where I stand. And this is me. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, it, it's water, but, and I know it has, it has, it has some minerals in there that you probably wouldn't want to ingest, but you know what? That's just the type of water I got. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm yeah. still going through the treatment plant. So, yeah. uh, I, I really like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, my question, I, I wanted to ask this question to you. I asked it to all the guests on the Strong Calm podcast, um, and it has to do with community, and it's called the village question. Yeah. And uh, Travis, it goes like this. So if if I were to give you a plot of land, or someone was, and say, Travis, we want to build a community uh, here on this land, uh, and there's there's two highways that, that intersect, and what we're going to do is we're going to put four billboards uh, around this community, uh, that, that, that tell other people that are driving down the highway, what it's about. Uh, we want you to put four values, uh, on these billboards to attract that 
community that you want to live there, what four values, principles, sayings, declarations would you put on those four signs? Well, um, that, man, that's a phenomenal question. Um, Thank you. I've got a lot of things I could put in there. The first one, just because this is me, this is the me I've become in discovering my wholeness and healing. But it would be that phrase I use in the book that I share with people all the time. The billboard would say, you carry all the light you will ever need to, to illuminate all the darkness you will ever face. Sometimes we just need help reconnecting to it. Find that here, right? The other one would say, you're human. So you have gifts and you have talents and you have passions. Come discover them in community because I think that's where we really discover um, what I often call our GPS, our gifts, our passions, and our story. When we discover those three things, when we, when we find our GPS, we don't have to pursue meaning, you know, and, and I guess the third billboard would say looking for meaning in life, find it in this community because a community of people seeking to identify their GPS, their gifts, passions, and their story, because you can't have one without the other. You know, my gifts are the intrinsic talents I have along with what I've learned, you know, that's the schooling and the training. My passion, that's the core of who I am. You know, the surface question on that is what would you do if you didn't, what would you do if you never got paid? But the depth of it is, and this is what the phrase my publisher uses, what ignites your soul? You know, every one of us is God gifted with an ability, albeit small or big, to move the world forward in a good way. So, so join this community and find your ignited soul would be the fourth one. Love it. I'd join. <laughs> Me too. One, one of those, one of those would catch my eye, I'm sure. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, in the interest of time, uh, Travis, uh, as we kind of, uh, wrap this up when I wrapping it up, in, in the framework of, of the three C's communication, community building, and then company. And that's company, your business and the company that you keep as the individual. Yeah. And to me, I feel that these are all like, if you want business success, you're going to have to have personal transformation because, you know, if you want business transformation, it's going to have to come from an individual source and you got to become that source of the change that you want to see. So um, if you, do you, I guess I'll ask you this kind of in this way, do you have clients that are more business forward when, when they're looking for coaching or are they all kind of looking at, um, you know, the, the kind of the personal transformation? Do you have people that are like, Travis, I've got this issue in my business. Can you help? Yeah. Well, I, we, we get a both hand, I guess it would lean a little more towards relation, but a lot of folks, especially men, if, if they've got that, those limiting beliefs inside them that they haven't faced. And maybe there's some turmoil in life. Maybe they have anxiety. Maybe their relationships or marriage is a little bit struggling. A lot of people always go to that safe zone and that's our job, our career. So they won't help on that. Um, but they all, like you said, they really dovetail in together. So a lot of people I come that have come say, Hey, I won't, I won't help in my next career path decision. Um, I'm kind of stuck here. I don't know what training I should get next. You know, be, be that coach in the press box and tell me what I'm doing on the field. Almost invariably, um, and occasionally I've had clients go somewhere else because they're like, man, I came just for business coaching. I said, well, you, you can't be successful in business or pursuing that passion or career if your life's in turmoil. So they dovetail mm -hmm. together. So invariably we end up talking about life. Because I tell them, I say, look, we'll get to the place where we fine tune it towards career choices, relationship choices, personal growth. But it all starts with awakening to and embracing your story. And I haven't found very many people that once we fully awaken to the story, don't have a little bit of stuff that we need to tweak and reckon with. We got some limiting beliefs that are holding us back. Mm. Yeah. So you think that you, you, you believe that a lot of it has to do like, you have to kind of start there. Um, how often would you say when you, when you're coaching folks, does it start with one thing and then 
get actually into another, you know, like they, they'll, they'll start talking to you and introduce you to one particular problem. But then as you kind of dig deep, it's like, Oh wow, this is actually, this is actually, this is actually what's happening. Yeah. How often does that happen? For, for me. And I think it's because I'm so adamant about everything being tied into that internal narrative, the words Mm -hmm. create worlds. So for me, And even if I look just over the last 24 months when I've had to rebuild and restart my business and finish the book out of a shutdown of COVID, you know, my business shut down for seven months. um, It's about 70%, if not Mm -hmm. 75. And I, I, case in point, a new couple came just this last week, just at each other's throat that they acknowledge both of us sucking communication. You know, Mm -hmm. he, he gets passive, she gets angry which makes him more passive, which makes her more angry. And just in three, we've had our second visit. Just in our second visit, I just go, okay, can we talk about family a little bit? I know you didn't come to me to talk about family, but everything is a system. So I've I've already given them that spiel about their internal narrative. Everybody, when they hear that, they understand, yeah, I do have a story inside me. I do. Your brain writes every minute of your life. Every thought, feeling, emotion, smell, memory, everything. I said, so let's talk about family for a minute. And for both of them, there's some dysfunction in their past that's fueling what they're experiencing now. They were both cautious about the way they talked about it. And I said, look, this isn't about throwing mom or dad under the bus. Maybe they did the best they could. Maybe they parented you out of experiences they had. It's not about throwing them under the bus. It's about owning your story. They're not on trial here. If anybody's on trial, it's our story. It's saying, hey, we need to tweak our story because every word has power, you know. And so just at the end of the second visit, I gave them some challenges and they were already awakening to the idea that she's like, I'm so angry because everybody in my past was so passive and never would help me and never was there for me. And I said, so when you see him being passive, which he's just trying to avoid the anger explosion that you acknowledged, you see everybody in your past that let you down and you've put him in the same boat. Well, he's just going to fail me like everybody else has. So you're operating out of your core fear. And that's what we're going to work on discovering this next time is what those core fears are so that we can awaken that narrative and then see it in the context of the marriage relationship now. Mm. Beautiful. Travis, you're doing some wonderful work, man. Um, uh, so just to kind of ramp it up um, in, a, in a fun way, I guess, because uh, it's always fun to, 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 to hear from folks like you who've done such deep study. Um, are there any books, podcasts, uh, experiences, um, conferences, anything that stands out to you that you'd like to recommend or um, encourage people to check out that you, um, that you find value in? Well, I, I wouldn't be a good author if I didn't say first go to Amazon and get We Are All Fireflies. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it's, on a, definitely. it's on a flash sale right now for nine ninety nine. So there you go. Um, when it becomes uh, awakening to fear and shame narrative, which a lot of us are rooted in, if you haven't heard of her, one of the premier experts on that, she calls her, I've heard her call herself the shame doctor, um, is Brene Brown. Any any book yes. that Brene Brown has written. Um, and then my publisher, and he, he didn't, he don't know I'm doing this, so he didn't tell me to do this. But my publisher has a book he put out several years ago called Your Secret Name. And, and it's all about finding your inner self, connecting to your inner self. I, I tie in some of his work with my work um, because the reading of that book about three years ago helped me grow to the place where I could embrace my story in written form. I didn't have a problem telling it, but now I'm writing it and putting it out there. And that book was one of the reads. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. One that's that's old and it starts out talking about the Holocaust. So a lot of people stop and don't like it um, is man's search for meaning Victor Frankl. It's a prof- one of the most profound reads of the last century. And, and then I'll end on something whimsical. Uh, it's a good book to read, but almost every client that comes to me and we identify trauma, and, and I want them to visually see what awakening to that internal narrative is like, I'll tell them to watch a movie called um, The Monster Calls. 
It's a it's an excellent movie. It's free on Netflix now. You used to have to rent it, but it's free on Netflix. But it's it's such a beautiful story. You don't have to have the same experience that kid has, but he's fighting and battling this internal voice. Um, he calls it his monster, like I did in, in, in my own life and in my book. Um, but it gets to the point, and I think this is where I got step two of my two steps, is the, the monster, which happens to be a tree, and the voice is Liam Neeson. You know, he looks at him and he says, Connor O'Malley, speak your truth. You know, and the, the movie ends on this painful yet redeeming crescendo of him finally coming to terms with his story. And it, it's beautiful. Excellent. I'm definitely going to check that out. Yeah, it's a great uh, movie. I would tell people turn on captions because it gets very loud at times. And you really need to hear what Connor and the monster are saying to each other. Excellent. Um, excellent. Well, uh, Travis, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you scheduling some time with me. I think that uh, I think people are going to get a lot of value out of it. And so I'm going to encourage everyone to definitely check out your book on Amazon. Like myself, I'm going to make that order right now. And uh, we're going to uh, I'm sure we're going to have more conversations here. Sure. Later, Travis is available on Instagram. And then what's your website? Oh, here it is. TravisMWhite.com. TravisMWhite.com. And I'm in the middle of launching it. So you may or may not see it live the next 48 hours. Um, Okay. I'm I'm building the course that's going to go with the book. Excellent. And when's that next book coming out, Travis? Don't let don't make um, us wait another ten years. We will start that book this year after I finish the audio book for We Are All Fireflies. I'll do the second book, and it's going to be about my dad. I tell a lot of stories in the first book, um, but but simple but beautiful man, one of the most amazing men I've ever known. But the course that'll be built on that, the course for this book is Finding Your Light in Life. And in that next book, whatever it's entitled, the course will be Finding Your Light in Legacy. It's learning how to leave an empowering legacy in the small things, which is what my dad did for me and my whole family. Excellent. Look forward to hearing that. Yeah. All right. Well, Travis, thank you so much for your time. Um, stay stay with me just one second. I'm going to end this recording and then okay. uh, uh, I have one more question. So. Thank you so much, Travis. Appreciate thank it. Thank you for having me.